Now turn with me today to Second Chronicles chapter 20. Some weeks ago we thought about Second Chronicles chapter 20. We concentrated our attention on the verse 12. And then we thought about, in a subsequent sermon, the 15th verse. Well, I want us to think about something else in this portion this morning. Second Chronicles chapter 20, and we're going to read again the first 12 verses of the chapter. Let's hear the word of the Lord. It came to pass after this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon and with them other beside the Ammonites came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea on this side Syria. And behold, they be in Hazon Tamar, which is in Gadi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven? And rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thine hand is there not power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee? Art not thou our God, who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel, and gavest it to the seed of Abraham, thy friend forever? And they dwelt therein, and have built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name, saying, if when evil cometh upon us as the sword, judgment or pestilence or famine, we stand before this house and in thy presence, for thy name is in this house, and cry unto thee in our affliction, then thou wilt hear and help. And now, behold, the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir whom thou wouldest not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and destroyed them not. Behold, I say, how they reward us to come to cast us out of thy possession, which thou hast given us to inherit. O our God, wilt thou not judge them for we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. And all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. 
Amen. We know that the Lord will stamp to us this reading again of the Holy Scriptures, and we trust and pray that the Lord will bless it to our hearts. Now, my text this morning is taken from 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 3 and 4, and my theme today is learning from the prayer of Jehoshaphat. Let's read the text together. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed the fast throughout all Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Now Jehoshaphat was the fourth king to reign over the land of Judah. When his godly father Asa died, Jehoshaphat was 35. In the same year, his reign began. He reigned for 25 years over Judah. And you can read the whole of his life story in 2 Chronicles chapter 17 right through to chapter 20. Now, Jehoshaphat was one of the few kings of Judah that knew and loved the Lord and tried to direct the land in the ways of godliness. You see, sadly, many out of the 19 kings and one queen of Judah, they used their position to promote sin and parade idolatry, idolatry and immorality. Many had no interest in the things of God. They had no testimony of God. They didn't love God. They didn't live for God. They had no desire to be loyal to him. But Jehoshaphat, well, he was different. Look at these words. And we read in chapter 17, in verses um, 3 and 4, and, Jehoshaphat, and the Lord was with Jehoshaphat. Because he walked in the first ways of his father David and sought not unto Balaam, but sought to the Lord God of his father and walked in his commandments and not after the doings of Israel. Here we're introduced to Jehoshaphat. And what was he like? Well, we've got this amazing testimony in chapter 17 verses 3 and 4. Jehoshaphat was a young man who sought the Lord with all his heart. Now, he wasn't a perfect man. I want you to understand that. He was not sinless. He was a young man who made plenty of mistakes. He was prone to error of judgment. He had his faults and his failures, yet for the most part, he had a heart to seek God, a heart to serve God. According to Second Chronicles chapter 18, that he set in motion a spiritual reformation in the land of Judah. He loved the Lord, remember? He lived for him. And he was loyal to him that he removed false worship and idolatry out of the land of Judah to a large extent. He reestablished the supremacy and the importance of the word of God. He called for faithfulness among the priests and among the preachers of the law. He sought to learn from past mistakes. He, he sought to walk in the old paths and embrace the old truths. He even had a, a burden to put his own house in order in a way that pleased the Lord. Now, despite this, this godly lifestyle, the seeking of God, despite his longing to do the will of God and experience the Lord's blessing, despite his attempt to implement spiritual reformation, 
Jehoshaphat found himself in a situation where his back was against the wall. After this period of reformation, after this public display of instruction, the land and the ways of God, the land of Judah, came under attack. A great company of Moabites, Ammonites, and Edomites came up against Jehoshaphat the battle. The sole aim, of course, of the enemy was the entire destruction of the children of Israel. In other words, they were coming in to take over their land and take their possessions. They were to come and to kill many and force thousands into servitude. Jehoshaphat's facing one of his greatest challenges. It was an impossible situation, a matter of life and death situation, a great challenge, a wit's end corner experience. Now, what did Jehoshaphat do? Well, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 3 and 4 supplies the answer. He naturally feared. You can fully understand that. Yet this man faced his fear. This man didn't allow his fear to paralyze him. Didn't allow the fear to render him useless or powerless. No, he, he owned his fear. And he set himself to seek the Lord. He, he sought the Lord God of his fathers. And that's the story of Jehoshaphat's life. The king who sought the Lord. And, 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 and he prayed. He, he fasted. He honestly told the Lord, Lord, we have no power against this great enemy. Lord, we have no answer to this threat. Lord, we do not know what to do. Verse 12. Remember we preached on it, but our eyes are upon thee. You see, 2 Chronicles 20 is a remarkable account of divine intervention in a real national crisis through the power of prayer. Jehoshaphat, as I've told you, was not a perfectly sinless man. Jehoshaphat didn't always do the right thing. Jehoshaphat was not without sin. We could preach a message on the sin of compromise of Jehoshaphat with Ahab, and we may do that sometime. He did recognize his sin. He repented of it. He got right with the Lord. He was ready to make amends. And yet for all the circumstances that was involved in Jehoshaphat's life, I could say this about him. He was always ready to pray. The king who sought the Lord... And we're thinking this morning of learning from the prayer life of Jehoshaphat. See, this king felt his need of the Lord. Oh, yes, he felt his weakness. Yes, he felt his insignificance. Yes, he felt his inability. But he also felt his need of the Lord. And what do we read of him? And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah and Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out, out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Now, three things this morning. First of all, the purpose of his heart is observed. Notice the words here. And set himself to seek the Lord. So I want you to let the impact, the full impact of these words fall upon your heart and mind. What do they mean? Yes, they mean that Jehoshaphat was a man of prayer. 
It means that he felt his need of the Lord. It also means that he felt his weakness, his insignificance, his powerlessness, his helplessness, his useless. It means that he faced his fear with reality. But it also means that because he felt this way, he had a deep purpose of heart to go to God in prayer. See, this was not something lighthearted, superficial, casual, or haphazard in the life of Jehoshaphat. I want you to understand this was deep-seated. This was deeply rooted in his heart and mind. The purpose of his heart is observed. And when we read in the scriptures and set himself to seek the Lord, I want you to underline the two words, set, and then the word himself, which means his face. You see, think of Jehoshaphat in this situation. If I'm going to die, if I'm going to perish, well, I'll die on my knees. I'll die calling on God, the God of my fathers. I'll die in an attitude of prayer, praying on the basis of the blood covenant and sacrifice. See, Jehoshaphat was thinking, surely no man can perish because he's trusting in the God of heaven and earth through prayer. There's many lessons that we could learn from Jehoshaphat's life. But I believe this is the most important. He was a man who knew how to pray. A man who purposed in his heart to pray. And that purpose of heart could be seen. It could be observed. And if you study the scriptures, right from Second Chronicles chapter 17, 3 and 4 that I've read to you, and I've already read to you the verse 4, but sought to the Lord God of his father, and read right through to the end of his life, and read right through even after he's dead, the testimony that he left behind, because it said about one of his children, the son of Jehoshaphat in chapter 22, who sought the Lord. Do, do you see that? This set himself to seek the Lord was was the purpose of his heart. It could be seen. It could be observed. Turn over there in your Bible to the Gospel of Luke. In Luke chapter 11, we read this. Verse 1, And it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, there's the Lord Jesus in prayer. It came to pass, Luke 11, verse 1, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. Now think of those words. Lord, teach us to pray. The disciples didn't say, Lord, teach us to preach, teach us to give. Not only ourselves, but our money. Teach us to serve. Teach us to love. Now, now, teach us to walk with you. Those are all important principles and truths. But they didn't ask the Lord to teach them to do any of those things. We read in the scriptures, Lord, teach us to pray. You see, there is a correlation 
between one's walk with God and one's prayer life. If you turn back in our scripture, it says here, and set himself to seek the Lord. Why? Because he was walking with God. Turn back there to Second Chronicles chapter 17. It says in verse 3, And the Lord was with Jehoshaphat. Why? Well, notice the word because. Because he walked in the first ways of his father David and sought not Balaam, but sought to the Lord God of his father. There is a link between walking with God and seeking God. Now, we all know that we should pray more. Nobody knows it more than me. But why don't we? Sometimes we tell ourselves well, we're too busy. Morning and evening, we get up about 7 a.m. or thereabouts. You usually don't go to bed to end around midnight. But we're too busy for God. Too busy for the place of prayer. Does the television take over? Does the internet take over? Does, does the, the gaming machine take over? There's a switch in the TV, I tell myself often. But we're not forced to sit for hours and end and watch it. Too busy. If we're too busy to pray, we're too busy. As it were too boastful. Well, we don't need anything. Are we like the Laodiceans? We're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Are, are we too blanketed that we, that we can't see that we need God? And we think, well, we can work it out ourselves and we can fulfill our plans and our ideas. You see, Jehoshaphat knew God. He was in a relationship with him. He was an Old Testament believer. And he was walking in fellowship and instead with God. He, he sought to, to live, as we'll see next week, um, following in the first ways of David, his grandfather. And Jehoshaphat knew how to pray because he had a purpose in his heart. And oh, that God would give me that purpose of heart. Turn over there to Psalm 109. I shared this before in the prayer meeting, Psalm 109. We read there in verse 4, Psalm 109, For my love, they are my adversaries, but I gave myself to prayer, and they have rewarded me evil for good and hatred for my love. Now what does that mean? For my love. That's my love to God. My love for truth and righteousness. My love for the scriptures. My, 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 my love for a godly lifestyle. My love for Christ. For my love they are my adversaries. What's the psalmist saying? He says, Lord, because I love you. And I'm living for you and I'm loyal to you. There's, there's many who have become my enemies. There's many who hate and despise me. Look at verse 5. And they have rewarded me evil for good and hatred for my love. Think of the words evil. Think of the word hatred. Here's what the enemy was thinking. Here's what the enemy was saying. Here's what the enemy was doing. And what's David's response? Verse 4. But I gave myself unto prayer. You see, it was a deliberate, disciplined choice. And I want you to see that because that's the meaning of the words 
set himself. It was a deliberate, disciplined choice. The purpose of his heart was observed. And I want you to notice that the Lord brought into Jehoshaphat's life a crisis, a difficult situation, a big trial. Why? Was it because he didn't love Jehoshaphat? No. Was it because he didn't care for Jehoshaphat? No. I believe it was to teach, to help Jehoshaphat to display the purpose of his heart to us so that we could see Jehoshaphat driven to his knees. We are facing a crisis this morning in Northern Ireland. The devolution settlement in regards to the Northern Ireland Assembly, the Westminster Parliament by its vote to bring in abortion and demand and same-sex marriage into Northern Ireland drives a cart and a horse through that devolution settlement. And I want to tell you the enemies of the gospel and of God, they're gloating this morning. They sense that they're on the verge of victory. We're going to get abortion and demand in Northern Ireland. We're going to have same-sex marriage introduced. And I can see the celebration on their faces and, and in their streets. And what do we do in that crisis? Has it already driven us to our knees? Do we have purpose and heart to give ourselves to prayer? I've asked myself, does a crisis drive me to God in prayer? Think of Jehoshaphat. Think of having a, a wee council with the generals and the captains of the army. Jehoshaphat, you're the king. What are we going to do? We're going to get before God. And it wasn't a quick prayer. Jehoshaphat was saying, let's drop everything else. Let's get before our God. Because everything else is of lesser importance. Jehoshaphat was not full of pride, even though he was the king. He was not full of a political and military solution, even though he was the king. Jehoshaphat was overcome with this thought. I need the Lord's help. Maybe you're here this morning and things are not going well for you and your life, and your family situation. We know that things are not good in the land politically and morally and spiritually and economically. Many are full of fear and we don't know what to do. Well, here's the answer. Let's go to God. Let's have a purpose in our heart that can be seen and observed that we cry unto the God of heaven. And you pray this morning despite the devil accusing you, despite the world and the flesh rising up against you, despite your weakness, despite your sin, your failure, your, 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 your faults. Let's have this mindset. Let's have this attitude of heart that Jehoshaphat, I've asked myself, am I like Jehoshaphat? Even in this crisis, Lord, have I this purpose of heart that can be observed? Notice, secondly, and very quickly, the prayer of his heart is observed. 
You see, what Jehoshaphat did, Judah did. Look at verse 4. It says, And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. You see, I want you to think of the prayer life of Jehoshaphat. It was powerfully influential. When I think of the history of the kings of Judah, out of the 19 kings and one queen, there was not very many godly or spiritually minded people. Many of them didn't have a good testimony. They had no testimony at all. In fact, they were not influential upon their people in a godly way. They were influential in a godless way. Their lifestyle, of course, impacted upon the hearts and minds of the people. When they sinned, the people followed, but not Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat feared, yes, but he set his face to seek the Lord. He proclaimed a fast in Judah. See, he realized that this kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Mark 9, 29. He asked help of the Lord. He sought the face of his God. And the Lord gave him a powerful influence with his people. Because the people came too to seek the Lord and to ask help of the Lord. And could I suggest this morning that one of the greatest ministries that you can engage in and experience is the power of prayer. If you deliberately set yourself to prayer, give yourself to it, a deliberate, disciplined choice, then you can be used to stir up others to pray. Jehoshaphat is a man who not only knew God, but a man who could pray. And that's the great story of his life. And it powerfully influenced a whole countryside, cities and villages and towns. Can you feel the force of that word? And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. What the king did, the, the subjects of the king followed in suit. Isn't that the story of our province in revival? Four men in the Kell schoolhouse. They started to pray. And their prayer meeting was influential and contagious. And others joined them. I don't know whether the four became 40 or how many was in the schoolhouse, but I know there was more than four at the end. And revival broke out. That was in the year of 1858. You think of the 10-day prayer meeting, the 120 disciples in the upper room before the day of Pentecost. They were all with one heart and one accord. You think of the disciples, and remember we had made reference to this in Luke uh, chapter 11. This plea, Lord, teach us to pray. What prompted that? It says, and it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. You see, Lord, teach us the art of prayer. As we have seen prayer practiced in your life, as we have seen it in the lives of others, John the Baptist and, and John's disciples. Do you know, we as preachers have some fears for the church. And I'll be honest with you, one of our fears for the church in Northern Ireland is a fear of the death of the prayer meeting. 
We can preach in prayer. We can call people to pray. I'm fully aware that the Holy Spirit, he's the author of grace and supplication within our hearts. I know it's impossible to be a prayerless Christian if you're saved by the grace of God. You're a true believer. You'll want to pray. If you're born of the Spirit, the Spirit who indwells you will will prompt you to pray. He'll produce prayers in your life. Romans chapter 8, verses 15 to 17. God has given us the, the Spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. But we need people who not only will pray, but will have an eye to powerfully influencing others to pray. We need divine intervention in the land. We need the help of the Lord today in our generation, in our time. We need people who will weep between the porch and the altar. People who will confess their sin. Lord, we have sinned. We need people to pray. Lord, we need another Pentecost. We need to cry for divine help and deliverance. And it won't come about unless we give ourselves to prayer. Notice that Jehoshaphat's prayer was not only powerfully influential, but it was powerfully instructive. You see, if we go back to Jehoshaphat there, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, you've got the prayer recorded for us in verses 6 right through to verse 12. And it's one of the great prayers in the Bible. Think of Jehoshaphat in the house of God at Jerusalem. And he's offering prayer. And what a prayer it is. I encourage you to read it. I've read it twice now to you. Maybe three times. I did that deliberately because I want to encourage you. It's good to read the prayers of the Bible. Sometimes we we think we don't know what to say. We we, we don't know what words to offer to God. And, And here's men of God. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. And they're pouring out their heart to God in prayer. And you can feel the passion. Notice how it starts. Oh, Lord God of our fathers. Can you feel that oh wrenched out of his heart? You see, this is not just bless me and my family, Lord. And good night, Lord. Much of what passes for prayer today is really not prayer. There's no passion in it. The heart and the mind is not engaged. But, but this was, was not something fake. This was a, a true prayer that, that filled Jehoshaphat. Here he is getting bad news. There's a million soldiers in Engadi, 35 miles away, one and a half days from Jerusalem. And he goes to God. And what's the first word that flows out of his heart? It's, O oh Lord God of our fathers. You see, he doesn't start with his fears. He doesn't start with his faults. He starts with God's person. He's thinking of who God is and what God is like and what God has done. He starts with the fact that he's in a relationship with the Lord. Oh, Lord God of our fathers. See, Jehoshaphat's God was the living and the true God. He was the only wise God. He was the God of the covenant. Notice the word, O Lord God of our fathers. 
He's addressing God as Jehovah. Notice also the focus on God's sovereignty. Verse 6, Art not thou God in heaven, and rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thine hand is there not power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee. Do, Do you see that? Art not thou God in heaven, and rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? He doesn't start with himself. He's focusing on God, God's person. He's reminding himself that God is sovereign, that God is in absolute control of things in heaven and things in earth. He brings into his mind that God is all-powerful and rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen. See, see, nobody can withstand the Lord. None is able to fight God and win. Look at the examples, verse 7. Art not thou our God who did drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel and gavest it to the seed of Abraham thy friend forever? You see, what's he saying? He's reminding himself of the power that God has, what God did in past history. And we could recite that this morning in the house of God. And and this God is our God. He's our God by covenant. He's our God by blood. We are his. The blood marks upon us were born of the Spirit. This God has done great things for us in the past. That this God is faithful to his promise. He's ever merciful. He's gracious. Notice what he says then in verse 8. And they dwelt therein. That's in the land of Israel. And have built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name's saying. If when evil cometh upon us. As the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we stand before this house and in thy presence. For thy name is in this house and cry unto thee in our affliction. Then thou wilt hear and help. You see, he's reminding himself of Solomon's prayer. Second Chronicles chapter 7 and the verse 14. And it says there, which is a, a tremendous promise. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and will heed their land. The temple in Jerusalem is a type of Christ. Lord, your name is in this house. It's the glory and honor of your names at stake. And only after, when he had thought of God's person, And the fact that he was in a covenant relationship with God and God was sovereign and God was all-powerful and God was merciful and faithful to his promise. And he he links in Abraham, God's friend forever. See, he looks to God first. His relationship with God, the sovereignty of God, God is all-powerful, a God who is true to his promise. The Lord God of our fathers. Only then, Does he ask God to look upon the enemy at the gate? So so he looks to God first. And then he asks the Lord at the end, Lord, behold our enemies. We need to ask the Lord to take note of the enemies of the gospel. We need to ask the Lord to judge them. We need to ask the Lord to deal with them. See, the Lord knows their purpose. The Lord knows the, the plan of the devil. The Lord knows the minions of hell that want to rob us of our inheritance in Christ. Lord, you know all about their plan. See, he's praying in confidence. He's praying dependent on the Lord. We need to do the same thing. That's the prayer of Jehoshaphat. The prayer of the heart is observed. 
And notice lastly, the pattern of his heart is observed. You see, after prayer, Jehoshaphat still depends on the Lord. He takes the problem to the Lord and he leaves it with him. So he's praying in faith, he's praying in confidence, he's directed his prayer to the Lord, but after he directs the prayers to the Lord and puts it at his feet, or as it were, puts it into his hand, then what does he do? He's told to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. We need to see the Lord work today in our generation. We need to see the Lord work in revival. What does revival mean? Wilt thou not revive us again that we thy people may rejoice in thee? Many of us don't really understand the full import of those words. Revival is not something man made, something a church can organize through having religious services. We think of what God did in the 1620s, 1859, the 1920s, 1950s, right through to the 1980s when this province of the breath of God and 60, 70 free Presbyterian churches were established in a short space of time in Northern Ireland. See, revival's nothing to do with man-made rules and regulations. It's not something that's man-centered. It's not something that's carefully planned and programmed. Revival at its heart is a yearning for God to come, for God to move, for God to work, for God to put the power of the devil to flight, for God to come and help and bless and strengthen his church. And is not what we want to see. We're dealing with things that are right and wrong today in the church. We're dealing with religious declension, apostasy, resurgent Romanism. We're dealing with what we really call moral and ethical things. And we have no might. And we don't really know what to do. But we need to make an honest assessment of the situation and learn to put it into the hands of the Lord and to leave it there. And that was the pattern of his heart. If you read his life, in every crisis... And every decision from the start to the end of his reign, he put it into the hands of the Lord. We want to see God work and save thousands of Roman Catholics and nominal Protestants. We want to see God work in a way in which he has never worked before, even in this province. We want God to strike a blow to apostasy and humanism and hedonism. We want to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. But we're not going to see it until there's a purpose in our heart. And that purpose of heart will lead to a prayer that's influential and a prayer that starts with God and God's person. Fill our mind with who God is. Maker, redeemer, controller, provider. And we need to have this pattern That when we take the problem to the Lord, we leave it with him and we depend on him to work it out for his glory. Because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of the strongholds of the devil. And this week as you pray for me, and I know you do, I want you to pray that God will give me this mindset, this attitude of heart that Jehoshaphat had that I'll purpose in my heart to be one of the men 
that will set himself to seek the Lord. And let's pray that fire will beget fire. And many like-minded people all over this province will also seek God as we leave these things with him. May the Lord bless you this morning.